Hello, this Bayesian Conspiracy episode is a little bit different. It started out as a Bayes Blast, which went way over time to the point that I had to make it a episode in its own right. That's the reason Steven's not here. He is still otherwise well and good. It's also the reason that we didn't record a Guild of the Rose promo originally, despite the fact that Matt, a member of the Guild of the Rose leadership, is the guest here. The Guild of the Rose is an organization we've teamed up with that is dedicated to helping its members refine and practice their rationality skills. One of the courses you can take is Malachian Systems. Many of the problems with systems and institutions we encounter in daily life can be traced to breakdowns in the system not attributable to any particular person or any single mistake. Rather, the true problem can only be understood at a systems level. We refer to this class of problems as Malachian in reference to Scott Alexander's classic Meditations on Moloch. I picked this course to talk about because it is very appropriate to what me and Matt discuss in the episode you're about to hear. There is right now a major structural push that is risking the future of humanity, and we have to find a way to fight against it. I talk about that with Matt coming up, and this Guild of the Rose course, Malachian Systems, dives even deeper into those sorts of systems. Finally, since this was supposed to be the second Bayesian Blast, this was recorded about a month ago. It was recorded weeks before GPT-4 had even come out, but still very relevant. Here we go. Matt, welcome to Bayes Blast number two. Yeah, it's time for Bayes. <laughs> Gosh darn right it is. Today I am going to be talking at you and hopefully with you too about a less wrong article from December. Let's think about slowing down AI by Katya Grace or Katya Grace. I have briefly read over this incredibly long post, but I, <gasps> I, I welcome your refreshing me on it and the opportunity to maybe dig into it a bit. Absolutely. The first thing that Katya does is kind of make fun of us a little bit by saying we may be arrogant enough to think that we might build a god machine that can take over the world and remake it as a paradise, but we aren't delusional about, tr delusional about trying to coordinate humans to slow down AI progress. I guess kind of fair, but also at the same time, when have we ever coordinated to, to slow down anything? And then Katya has some answers to this question, but I don't personally find them super persuasive i don't know is it is it too early for me to say that i didn't altogether find this to be a, a highly persuasive article <laughs> it is not too early at all <laughs> <laughs> that's but maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong well katya says that the coordination with the whole world might be tricky indeed but it doesn't have to be that tricky like for example restraint is not radical and empirically the world doesn't pursue every technology it barely pursues any technologies Katya gives the examples of huge amounts of medical research are routinely blocked by the FDA. Nuclear energy has been retarded in most developed countries in the world. Uh, fracking is often opposed. GMO foods and gene drives are both significantly hampered. Nuclear, biological, and maybe chemical weapons have the kibosh put on them. There's no cloning of humans or very little genetic manipulation of humans. Someone used CRISPR on babies in China but was imprisoned for it. People generally don't do much recreational drug development. Geoengineering seems to just not be done. I, I kind of feel like a knockdown argument here is just none of those things produce infinite wealth if you, <laughs> if, if you pursue them with the possible exception of nuclear energy, which I guess is, is worth considering. None of those things are similar to AI in the way that they would need to be similar to AI. I mean, I think for most people, infinite wealth from AI is non-obvious, whereas things like genetic manipulation of humans, if we could just raise the average intelligence and health of humans by 10%, it would make huge differences for the world. And yet they don't. Yeah, um, I guess it's much easier to uh, just stop people from doing that because there's really no 
massive well of like venture capital funding ready to to be allocated towards something like human germline experimentation because i think the venture capitalists in this scenario rightly expect that they would be crushed by regulation whereas i think the venture capitalists who are funding ai development don't expect that to happen i i think part of his argument is that maybe we should make it so that people do expect for that to happen which is a thing that has happened several times before yeah maybe i mean i I'm, i don't want to say it's impossible certainly um yeah. it's possible that this could work um i mean it's happened in the examples given above elsewhere in the article katya mentions the idea that kind of your average joe is actually kind of afraid of ai now mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Which is interesting to me because we live in this bubble where you and I have been, you know, doomsaying to each other for <laughs> for the entire time we've known each other, basically. But like, I, I forget, like, oh, the, the meme has actually leaked out of our little weird sphere and kind of is popular. So maybe now, you know, I, I don't think this would have worked five years ago, but I think maybe now you could get a sort of groundswell of, of political uh, uh, sentiment backing up something like this. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Katja gives some examples on how this could be done. For example, trying to convince researchers, funders, hardware manufacturers, institutions, and so forth, that they too should stop actively forwarding AI progress. Uh, Try to get any of those people to uh, stop forwarding progress, even if they don't agree with you, through things like negotiation, payments, public reproof, activism, help organize the researchers who do agree with you, move AI resources from dangerous research to other research, Formulate specific precautions for AI researchers and labs. Things like the um, Institutional Review Board for uh, Human Trials has done a great job of having specific precautions that really retard progress. Something for AI research like that could help. Reduced availability of compute via, for example, regulation of uh, production or trade. Or seller choices. That's the thing that a public pressure can do. Uh, at labs, choose policies that slow down other labs, such as reducing helpful public research outputs and alter publishing systems and incentives to reduce research dissemination. Katja points out that the above actions could be taken through individual choices made by scientists or funders or legislatures or labs or public observers, etc. Doesn't have to be a massive everything all at once. Could be piecemeal and then communicating between some of those parties to influence others. Yeah, maybe so. Um, I guess, again, this is not a a knockdown rejoinder, but I I would say... State actors are probably not going to be as persuaded by like the memeplex of the whatever we're calling this. I guess it's we can no longer call it the the uh, less wrong memeplex because I think it has grown beyond that. But like it, it, it's like basically you run the risk of just losing the future forever to like pick your state actor that you don't like very much and mm-hmm. and uh, and argue that they're the one who who pushes the development forward. The other thing I kept thinking about while, while reading this, this is a really interesting like week to be having this conversation because apparently uh, Google's new LLM uh, AI, you know, cutting edge as of this moment AI that they plugged in as like a question answering system, it answered a question wrong in a mm-hmm. public demo. And apparently their stock price plummeted like $100 billion. Um, in, yeah, now, in, in one day. In, in one day. The moral of the story, according to me, is these companies, if they didn't understand already, they now understand very well that having the AIs actually do what they're supposed to do is 
inseparable from having the AIs at all. Like you, you actually need these things to be, they probably don't use the word aligned, but they actually need the AI to work the way it's supposed to. So it's a corporate imperative that they actually pursue this. And a lot of these organizations have alignment researchers on staff. Maybe they will slow themselves down literally just out of greed. That is another great tack that was not taken in this article, but gosh darn, that makes me happy. I, I hope so. I hope that's what happens because, you know, greed is good. Quickly moving to things. Coordination is not miraculous world government. Usually a lot of coordinated behavior comes from everybody individually wanting to make certain choices, people wanting to do things that those around them are doing or distributed behavioral dynamics. Three examples given is a stewing bestiality. Probably some people think bestiality is moral, but enough don't that engaging in it would risk huge stigma. Thus, the world coordinates fairly well on doing very little of it. <laughs> Less extreme, not wearing Victorian attire in the streets. Uh, there's no moral blame for doing this sort of thing, and it's arguably more aesthetic than modern dress. But even people who strongly like a Victorian attire find it unthinkable to wear it in general and avoid it except for when they have excuses, such as a special party. Hmm. Finally, political co correctness. Public discourse has strong norms about what it's okay to say, and due to the decentralized application of social punishment, especially from people who fear punishment for not punishing others, this can be enforced even in situations where the majority do not agree with this. Failing to advocate the norm gets you publicly shamed by advocates. You might tend to advocate for it, making the pressure even stronger for everyone else. So if there came to be somewhat widespread concern that AI research is bad, that might substantially lessen participation in it. I guess I buy that on on face. To me, it's like if somebody tells me they're like a virology researcher, I'll, I'll be like, oh, that's cool. Like that sounds vaguely pro-social, but like they're not going to tell me like what they actually do is they actually work on uh, gain of function at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Like they're just not going to mention that. So like yeah, true. you, it, it's difficult to actually propagate these things where it's like if somebody wants to not be bothered about the fact that they're an AI researcher, they'll just be like, oh yeah, I work on alignment. And like what they actually do is they work on scaling and they just like make sure that the AI hasn't killed anyone yet every time they push the button. And like that's oh. their, you know. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But also this is an argument for slowing down, not for complete eradication of AI research. The virology gain of function researcher by the fact that he doesn't say what he's doing and keeps it under wraps, does slow down the virology research a little bit. It's harder for him to randomly find people at a biology conference that are also doing gain-of-function research on viruses, right? If he's unwilling to say this publicly, he's less likely to run into people, he's less likely to get status and have you know more hot dates. All those things together don't stop him, but may slow down the overall total research in the field. Uh, that's fair enough. I mean, I was thinking about this earlier and I added up like the number of people who work at like Google Brain and DeepMind and OpenAI and all these other places. And I, I got to around a, a number of roughly 5,000 like engineers working on this problem. And mm -hmm. so you, you could say like, well, what if it was 4,500? What if it was 4,000? You're not stopping progress, but you're definitely slowing it down. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the major argument. Um, Katja seems to think that even just gaining us an additional two or three years could make a huge difference. So just slowing down is itself a big win. I would love to see some evidence for that statement, but hmm. but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, if nothing else, you have an extra two or three years to fuck around and travel to foreign countries before the world blows up, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's the argument made that a lot of this, and you made this one earlier, it's sort of an arms race thing. We're not going to stop other places from pursuing this. Katja brings up the example of a suicide race where obviously nobody wants to race to be the first one to kill themselves. And 
that it's not entirely clear if this is an arms race or a suicide race, and there's like a percent chance of each. And then Katya brings up this interesting example in a like, should you race kind of thing. In this situation, it seems like you should race, but actually you should go slowly as possible. The situation is that AI is pretty safe. Online AI, AGI has a mere 7% chance of causing doom, plus another 7% chance of short-term lock-in of something kind of meh. Your opponent risks bad lock-in, uh, let's say China. If there's a lock-in of something mediocre, your opponent has a 5% chance of something locking something in that's actively terrible. Like uh, if only Chinese governments rule the whole world, let's say. Mm -hmm. Whereas you will always get at least a good mediocre where just like everyone is forced to write fan fiction for two hours a day. <laughs> but aside from that, the world's the same. Mm -hmm. uh, also part of this situation, your opponent risks messing up Utopia, where in the event of aligned AGI, you will always get Utopia. But if your opponent does reaches aligned AGI, there's still a 5% chance of being kind of mediocre bad after all, instead of complete Utopia. Furthermore, safety investment obliterates your chance of getting to AGI first. If you go from no safety at all to full safety, then you go from a 50% chance of being first to zero. You absolutely will lose. Your opponent is racing. They are putting nothing into safety. And safety work helps the other side at a very steep discount. Your safety work contributes only 50% to the other player's safety. Due to all these various things, most people be like, well, shit, I got to race on this. Katz just says your best bet is still to maximize safety investment because by aggressively pursuing safety, you can get the other side halfway there, which is worth a lot more than the lost chance of winning. Because even if you win, if you did so without much safety then your victory, your total percentages of getting, you know, something really great is worse than your opponent having a guaranteed win, but having 50% safety and thus having less chance of total doom and slightly less chance of bad lock-in as opposed to something okay. So I think the logic of that follows, but it, but it entirely rests on you actually agreeing with Katya about like your model of how AI will work and how alignment will work and roughly agreeing about like the odds of of different things because like it, I, I don't think that lots of the people working on agi are just doing it because they just don't care about the future i think they're doing it because they actually don't think it's dangerous and like yeah. you, you can only have a symmetrical payoff matrix in the game theory sense if both parties actually like understand and agree on what situation they're in the part that I think I most agree with out of all of that is like, you should probably devote your resources mostly towards alignment, whatever that word means. I still find that it's woefully undefined given where we are in the timeline, um, yeah. like on a personal level, but like th that's only persuasive to other parties if you can actually persuade them of the danger of the AI in the first place. I think you're right, but it seems like Katya's point is that even if your opponent does not believe in an alignment safety at all, the fact that you are advancing alignment will help things marginally more than if you were to race as well this depends a little on the numbers but the overall point is that maybe we can argue about the numbers but moving the needle on safety is always good yeah maybe so i mean i think one problem in, in a in this sort of interaction this sort of type of argument is that alignment is treated as like a black box word that we don't know what it means whereas i could probably point out something like hey until like a year ago the idea of like alignment via chain of thought prompting of an LLM had not occurred to anyone at all. Yeah. And that idea only occurs to you after you have done enough capabilities research to stumble upon the idea of chain of thought prompting. 
So you, in a very real sense, you can't do certain sorts of alignment without seeing what the AI is going to do, which I think maybe if, if Eliezer was here, he would be like, that's too risky. You should be, you know, more fundamental than that. I guess I'm just like, yeah, I just don't, I just don't know if that's how things are going to happen or could happen. Yeah. Or I don't, I don't think that's how engineering works. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a good point. Later on, Katya has a follow-up point that may be true. It's still better to have implemented slow down things from the very beginning because the longer that they have been in implementation, the more they're already set up so that you can really throw on the brakes once you do find the AI capabilities that you need to start working on. Sure. I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. <laughs> okay. Katya also points out that researchers themselves probably don't want to destroy the world. And many of them also actually agree that AI is a serious risk. So pushing for caution and cooperation is uh, probably good for them as well. Everyone, we're doing them a favor if we are helping to coordinate all this stuff. The key point I think that she's making about like the, the race dynamics of the thing being dangerous, I wholeheartedly agree there. And it's like, yeah, well, uh, I'm not sure if I agree on her solutions, but, but it's, if we can do something about it, that would be great. Well, the we thing is interesting. Katya brings up that we are not the US, we are not the AI safety community, and she's kind of annoyed by that phrasing in general, because then a lot of the times you get the answer of if we try to slow down AI, then the other side might win. Katya says, like, like this is an oddity of this discussion that feels related to this assumption that one's ability is to act is restricted to the United States. The United States, if there was an arms race, would be willing to make laws to mitigate AI risk. And even if the U.S. could do nothing to influence China at all, and China is just barging ahead, then that just means China is a great place to go and now try to mitigate AI risk because China could propose mutual slowing down and the U.S. would go along. If we've already convinced the U.S. to do it, we could move on to China and then it's much easier to make that bridge. And very importantly, Katja says maybe... Maybe it's not impossible to communicate this to relevant people in China. I just wrote like a thousand machine learning researchers in Asia and maybe a hundred wrote back. And it was a lot like interacting with people in the US. From those hundred, they could probably be network effects going out from there. So like, maybe just try. Right. Uh, Okay. So uh, are you familiar with the term theory of change? No. So it just refers to the idea of like, it's all well and good for us to sit around in our smoking jackets and say like, the government should institute a ban on crime. Like, okay, but like, it's useless until you get to the point of of saying what, how is this supposed to be enacted? Like, like from where we are right now to the final goal, what are the steps and, and why do you think that will work? This kind of reminds me of when people say like, we need to have a conversation about this social issue. And it's like, that's, that's nothing. I agreed with you up until very recently, and now I want to very actively disagree with you. Okay. Our most re- recent uh, Bayesian Conspiracy episode, we talked with a guy from the Yimby movement in California, mm-hmm. and he really made me bullish on the fact that actually you can influence government somewhat, really a lot more than you would think mm-hmm. with just concentrated local action. Yeah. If nothing else, like just political correctness, it started out with people being like, well, I think it sucks to call other people retarded. You shouldn't do that. And it, it has like grown to this huge thing right now, which has big implications for federal policy even. There is a clear line to get from one to the other. So yeah, I listened to that episode and, and Brian clearly has a theory of change. Like, in fact, I, I bet if you asked him, what's your theory of change, he could tell you exactly what it is and, and how, how it operationalizes. 
Whereas the like the problem with this sort of discussion that we're doing now, it's it's like at too high of a meta level. So I'm just like, basically, I'm stuck in the position of being like, yeah, maybe it could work, but like, I'm gonna need to see way more implementation details before you have really won me over on this. Like, how are you going to convince all of these Chinese researchers to focus on alignment instead of just not doing particular things that they, in their own mind, think are dangerous? Katya's argument is people who say exactly that sort of thing may not have a theory of change, but that doesn't mean nobody has a theory of change and that also it's not impossible to make one. Like just by posting this on Less Wrong, Katya's reached thousands of people. Maybe one of them has some theory of change and like hasn't really been doing anything with it because of all the people saying this is ridiculous. We're not delusional and pushing this sort of thing to be like, yo, you know what? Maybe actually maybe try it. Like this whole sit down for five minutes and maybe actually try thing, I think is a big deal. Yeah, I'm actually f- fully grant that. Yeah, you're totally right, actually. Um, because w- once you, you know, involve the imagination of a large number of people, then who knows what can happen. Yeah. The whole Katya article basically struck me as like, this is really well argued, really soundly executed logic drawn from premises that I don't agree with at all. Oh, so so the problem is, as I'm reading it, I'm like simultaneously like, yes, well, well argued, Katya. And then also, I still disagree, because basically, Katya's operating from within this universe of more or less insular, less wrongian thinkers, who all agree with each other about the dangers of AI and like what the shape of that is and what it looks like. You can see in her like, you know, acknowledgement section, she lists like all of the leading lights of the AI risk movement that are very less wrong centric, right? And and Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I I don't necessarily buy all those assumptions. And I think that that's sort of an echo chamber. I'm not even, by the way, saying that I don't think AI is dangerous. It's more like the way that she has framed so many of the things in this article, I find to be overly narrow in ways that borderline break the argument. And I don't know that I could cite any of them if pressed on that issue, but that was a feeling that I kept having while reading it. I get what you're saying, but you started off this conversation by saying we can't even call it a less wrong meme anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It has it has spread into the broader culture. There there are a lot of people now that even if they disagree that AI is potentially dangerous, are very aware that there's a large section of people that do say that. And many of the people that have been strongly influenced by the less wrong meme are now in institutions that are important. They're in Google, they're in major universities, uh, they're have the ear of policymakers. There's even a few actual lawmakers on state levels that uh, come from rationalism, like just period, straight up are rationalists. And we do have enough reach that by putting together a social pressure and trying to coordinate many people, something might be done to, again, not stop AI research, because I think, as Eliezer argues, that is impossible for something that isn't a godlike machine, but slow it down. Just Again, just slowing things down by a few years, if nothing else, gives us a few more years to enjoy life and potentially increases the odds of alignment being successfully completed by, I don't know, who knows, maybe 10%, maybe 50%. Yeah, I think maybe I'm having an emotional like reaction to, to the use of, of the phrase, slow it down, because mm-hmm. to me, I just hear that and, and I'm like, to what end? And maybe you know, an idiot like me would like it better if it was phrased as like, we should proportionally devote more of our resources toward making sure the AI actually does what it's supposed to do, which will, by the way, have a side effect of slowing down the rate of capabilities advancement, because 
the engineers who would have been working on capabilities advancement will now be working on make it not kill everyone advancement. Yeah. Um, and it's literally just rephrasing things in a way that that sounds more progress oriented mm-hmm. because I'm progress brained. Um, <laughs> that sounds appealing to me. Like I, I'm really I, I, I'm sort of actually in this moment struggling with the idea that like I'm basically having an, an emotional reaction to this article that is literally just because of how it is phrased, which would be embarrassing. Um, but but <laughs> I mean, possible. we are squishy squishy meat humans we are very much influenced by things like emotions like on a one-to-one basis i also feel like you'd have an easier time like going into google brain and and being like i think it would be a better idea for for you personally and for google as a company uh and for the world if you devoted um 25 of these engineers towards alignment rather than capabilities then you would just saying like i think you all should slow down like, well, yeah, <laughs> as was pointed out earlier on with like the various things you can do, mm-hmm. that one of them was move AI resources from dangerous research to other research. Like you, you don't go walk into this there and say everyone should slow down. You do exactly what you said, and that has the effect of slowing it down. Okay, I'll get on board with that. I think, <laughs> I think I'm being I, a bit I mean, reactionary with the article in general, which is funny. No, uh, it's okay. okay. I, I also think that like to take your virology gain of function research example if it does slow down how soon we get the next killer virus by one or two years by the fact that you know it can't be talked about openly and has to be hidden that's also an additional one or two years to find the next mrna or the next do they have a uh, virophages now i don't think so but they might if we have an extra few years to develop them <laughs> <laughs> they they might they might see so so again any anything that moves timelines out a little bit increases the odds of survival and makes things not as bad. Maybe only 5% of the world will die to the next big virus rather than 50%. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, it's logically sound, sure, yeah. This next part is entirely more about like the psychology thing that against the laws of game theory, people sort of expect the enemy to try and believe falsehoods because it will better contribute to their own racing. And this just feels like realism. But the uncertain details of billions of people that one barely knows about with all manner of interests and relationships just really wants to form itself into an us and them in zero-sum battle. That's a mental shortcut that could kill us. Katja's impression is that in practice, for many of the technologies slowed down for risks or ethics mentioned in the earlier section of extremely valuable technologies that have been slowed down, uh, countries with pretty disparate cultures have converged on similar approaches to caution. My experience in talking about slowing down AI with people is that they seem to have a can't-do attitude. They don't want it to be a reasonable course. So they want to write it off. What would it look like if we actually tried? I did feel like Katya was attacking me directly because I I, <laughs> I, I, de- I I detected like at that part of the essay that I was like, I have sort of been coming up with excuses for why this wouldn't work the whole time instead of directing my my mind toward like, well, how could this work? which is uh, maybe not the best way to be interacting with something. I, I still think maybe the first point that I made in this discussion applies here, actually, which is like, here's one one technology that we really did not succeed in curtailing was nuclear weapons. You could argue we sort of, way after the horse had left the barn, we implemented a bunch of anti-proliferation treaties and so forth, but it was already after we'd built enough nuclear weapons to destroy the entire world. And it was because it's the situation that Gotcha is describing where it's like, it's a situation where 
there can only be one winner and the winner is the one that has all the nukes or in this case the winner is the one that gets the ai first which is not true when it comes to nuclear power plants or fracking or even chemical and biological weapons are not going to let you take over the world in the way that ai would um so it, yeah. it, it is a different dynamic and i don't think that it, it totally makes sense to analogize it to a bunch of things that are just not good analogies all right that's fair i will grant you that one okay and yeah especially the fact that we did have the ability to blow up the world for a long time with nukes that's uh it's, it's not a good sign there game theory wise we had all the incentive in the world to be like we shouldn't do this this is a bad idea and then we did it anyway so you can't, yeah. you can't act like game theory is, is going to like solve the problem for us the second to last thing that I'm going to pull out that Katja said is that actually convincing people doesn't seem that hard. The median surveyed machine learning researcher seems to think that AI will destroy humanity with a 5 to 10% chance. Often people are already intellectually convinced, but haven't integrated that into their behavior. Part of the thing that we would be doing is just trying to help them to organize to act on their actual tentative beliefs that they already have. And then also that a lot of people simply haven't come into contact with these arguments and that when you tell them about them, they uh, actually are kind of worried about this whole thing and they do fear misalignment. As examples given, Katja says that Bostrom, Yudkowsky, and other early thinkers have had decent success at convincing a bunch of people to worry about this problem as a proof of concept. It seems to be going okay. And Katja would guess that convincing the 10 most relevant leaders of AI labs that this is a massive deal would get you some decent slowdown just on itself. I totally agree with that. Actually, I, I think I think that it's it's somewhat likely that nobody has ever really cornered some of these people and and really challenged them because you'll be surprised how many really smart people have sort of coped themselves into not being worried about this because the human tendency is to not think about stuff that's that's worrying, right? And so you'll just yeah. avoid doing it. But if you manage to corner a smart person and you gently but firmly destroy all of their knee jerk reactions to you know, you you just shoot it with a shotgun if it starts, uh, <laughs> etc. Et um, mm -hmm. They will usually come around pretty quickly. That's what I have found personally, anyway. Well, okay. Final arguments is that if you want to slow down a broad area of activity, ignorant regulations do just fine, and the same goes for social opposition. Do you disagree with that? I worry about the ignorant regulations thing because I I can totally imagine a horrible dystopian future where we have regulated ourselves into an AI dystopia. We can definitely use AI to, to uh, sorry, regulations to slow down AI. Like, sure, regulations are great at slowing things down. But also imagine all of the, you know, nuance and care that's been put into some of the, you know, FDA regulations being applied to <laughs> our future light tone. It's uh, chilling uh, to consider. So maybe I'm not thinking about this quite right, but it, it doesn't exactly strike warmth into my heart to imagine this. So I agree with you. I think that would be a like mediocre, somewhere on the the bad to mediocre spectrum. But on the other hand, wouldn't a galaxy-wide FDA be better than complete annihilation? Uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> You're not sure about that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. 60-40. <laughs> okay. And then the last thing was that arguments against trying to slow down seem like galaxy braining ourselves into not doing the thing that just is probably a good idea to do if i step back from it i'm like yeah i agree with the object level recommendation that we okay what's the best way to make sure that we get alignment before we get agi well it's to put more energy into alignment and less energy into agi 
which basically means the same thing as slowing down the rate of AGI so we have more time to develop alignment, whatever that means. Still sort of unsatisfied with that black box. I'm I'm actually still trying to come to grips with why I reacted the way I did to this article. I don't know. Do you you have any psychological insight here, Inuyash? I would think it's because we don't like having to play popularity games. We know that we are very bad at them. And this feels like very much a, hey, guys, you just have to win the popularity game. And all of us are like, we can't do that. That's stupid. Let's focus on something we actually can do, like designing a god. That seems very astute. I think you're spot on there. Every time we've tried to win a popularity game, we've been smashed down hard. And uh, I don't know why this time would be any different, right? Yeah, right. And, And it always gets taken out of our hands and mutated into something horrible, right? Yeah. Even when we do make great things, then they come around and take them. You know, no EA comment here. Ha ha. I think I just involuntarily imagine like the worst person, you know, taking up this cause. And this happens in politics all the time. So we we always we we have a referent for it where we're like, Mm -hmm. oh, like I I sort of agree with your object level commitments, but you're going about this in a way that makes me want to vomit. And Mm -hmm. that happens sort of like all the time everywhere, actually. Mm -hmm. Um. So the like it's totally going to happen to this too, and that makes me unhappy. But that's not actually a good reason to not pursue it. That just explains why I'm having the emotions I'm having. I think, and I agree with you. Just just your phrasing of it already fills me with rage, and I'm like, you know what? Fuck it, let them burn. <laughs> if they're going to try to take this from us too, I think this is the ultimate test of our rationality: is our willingness to allow people to to do the stuff we want to do but in a really stupid way that pisses us off (laughs) overall the point of let's stop saying that uh this is an impossibility and it's delusional to think it can happen and instead start encouraging people you know what yeah go out there try to make this socially shameful try to have regulations passed or try to just influence people with your own here's my two cents on the matter is still a net positive thing to do, even if it is very small in any one direction. It could buy us the extra few weeks we need. I think I like it. I think I could get behind making it socially shameful to be dismissive of AI concerns. Because yeah. we, we can even come up with a meme, like like the, like how they somehow it was made really horrible to say that you're an atheist by just associating it with like fedoras. Right. Like, like we come up with some kind of thi- associative thing to associate with people who, who are dismissive of ai concerns to make them seem mm-hmm. gross and, and unlovable yeah there you, you go know the weirdest thing out of in this realm of stuff people are not for doing free labor for large corporations right mm-hmm. it's, it's not considered cool or hip and yet there's this huge moral thing about like whether you are a good person or not is most fundamentally tested by whether you return your shopping carts yeah and, and the funny part is like the answer is like flipped from what it should be for any commonsensical human being. Yeah. <laughs> um, if that can become a socially shameful thing, then I think we have a darned good chance. Yeah. Yeah. We can do this. We let's, let's, there's no way this could go wrong as we sit here in <laughs> the Beijing Conspiracy Institute of Memeology um, yeah. doing gain of function research on our meme. That, that we just everybody go find a way to make it really disgusting and shameful uh to be dismissive of ai concerns all right when you put it that way suddenly i'm not on catch's side anymore <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying it explicitly so damn it 
if we're going to fight in the Normie Wars, one of the things we have to internalize is their weapon of everything has to be completely plausibly deniable. That's true, which means we should use their like terminology for talking about this, except I'm not very good at that. I don't speak we need, Normie. We need a Normie infiltrator. Yeah, we do. All right, you know what? I am very sorry. This is not a Bayes Blast. I'm going to have to put this out as a bonus episode. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that this is more bonus episode length, which, which is totally fine with me. That, that'd be great. I'm very sad that my very second Bayes Blast was a failure. <laughs> I, I blame myself. Nope. This was my <laughs> fault. I chose too big of a bite. You cannot blast something this large. Yeah, that, that, I mean, it's probably fair. This was a, this is a, big, a big thing to chew. Um, you know, I have learned. I, I, next time something this big is done, it will be a full episode. Stephen will be here, and I will not try to do this as a blast thing. Blasts have to be smaller. It is fun to imagine just like shorter episodes, though. That's one thing that we've never achieved on our podcast, but <laughs> it seems like it ought to be possible to have like a sub one hour episode, right? Going to keep trying, going to keep learning. Growth mindset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me. This was pretty awesome. Matt, welcome back. Since this is going to be a full episode anyway, I figured we might as well <laughs> just take a few extra minutes to discuss the other things that occurred to us a half hour, an hour after we hung up. Let's see here. 2.46 a.m. Okay, it was quite a ways after we hung up. I couldn't <laughs> sleep that night. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, and, and I'm kind of glad to do a follow-up for my part because as I thought back on a lot of the stuff that I said in that conversation with you, I was like... Uh, some of that's bullshit. Some mm. some of that is like coping. I've been thinking a lot this week about the the idea of what do you do when there's something that bothers you? Well, you 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 worry about it until you think of of the right narrative or the right framing where you don't have to feel worried anymore. I think that's what I was doing. <laughs> okay. So so yeah, let's revisit some things. Do you want to go into the cope first? Have you found the narrative or framing that makes you not bothered now? I mean, I'm just sort of trying to be honest about the idea that I don't enjoy feeling terrified of extinction. So I lend more weight toward arguments that say that alignment's probably easier than Eliezer at all think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, accelerating AI development won't be so bad because they'll just use the AIs to help develop the alignment theory and all these other things where I'm not saying that I think they're bad arguments. What I'm saying is, I think I'm motivated to stop thinking about it after I find answers that sound appealing to me because they're so convenient. I agree with you. I have a number of things to agree with you. I think before we get too far, I did want to say <laughs> the the thing that I texted you at uh, almost 3 a.m. that occurred to me was that I owe you a big-ass apology because I spent a lot of our discussion saying, yeah, we should consider socially shaming people that work on AI uh, so they don't do that anymore. Much later, I realized you are blood kin to someone who is working on AI, and this could have some significant ramifications for your personal life and relationship. And I don't expect it to, because from the impression I have of your guys' relationship, I don't think something like this could come between you and you wouldn't do that to him and whatever. But also, like... I didn't do that on purpose, and I was not at all trying to put pressure on you to start shaming the people you personally know and and try to alter their behavior. I, it hadn't even occurred to me that that was a thing, and I'm really sorry. Well, I, I appreciate the apology, although I don't feel that I was in any way uh, hurt or, or, or put on the spot or pressured by that because I was... It's not like it hasn't occurred to me the idea of this person who's very, very close to me who's working on this stuff, and, and we do talk about this kind of stuff a lot. 
it's this interesting thing where like he has his own opinions about alignment. And I mean, you can just listen to the episodes that he's been on and, and see like he's a less wrong person too. Yeah. It's not like I have to explain anything to him. It's just he has his own perspective on things. You know, he's more knowledgeable than I am about the state of the art and how this stuff is actually done. So in some regards, I'm inclined to defer to him where it's like, well, obviously, you know more than me about this. But in other regards, I would say this to him as well. It's like, well, he's also motivated to come to certain conclusions in the same way that I'm, I'm motivated to come to, to, to conclusions that make me not freaked out. That's one of the, the core things of being a rationalist and thinking of yourself as a rationalist is it's too much to say that we, we never succumb to that, but at least we're aware of that as a, as a risk, um, motivated cognition, stopping when you find the solution that feels good and not thinking any further, the, these sorts of things. It's good that we are aware of this at least. Although the, the shitty part about that though is once I realized that's what I was doing, then I could no longer just not be worried about it anymore. Oh, shit. <laughs> That sucks. Kind of. It's not like I've been suffering tremendously. It's just like I realized that I was letting myself off the hook on something that uh, I hadn't actually solved. I just did the thing where I was like, and now I have a good excuse to not think about this anymore. Um, yeah. You said another reason that you had for not wanting to slow down AI is uh, your parents are getting older and you're worried they won't be along for that much longer and you would really like for singularity or at least solving of aging to be uh fixed before that happens yeah i'm i'm very much in the same boat as you i i mean i I would like for my parents to live longer but they are in such good health and you know they had me fairly young so i think they'll last a while longer but i really would like some ai to save me personally as well yeah i i want the ai to to save you personally too i mean it's definitely the parents thing comes to mind my parents are also healthy but like I saw how much my grandparents aged in like a 10-year span. A 60-year-old compared to a 70-year-old, a 70-year-old compared to an 80-year-old. These are these can be big steps even, even if that person starts out being healthy at the beginning, right? And then, you know, heart disease and cancer and mental decline, these things can come on really suddenly. And, and they're way more likely to come on as, as the parent ages. So I'm, I'm not trying to, Jesus, like that sounds so negative, but all I'm trying to say is like, even though my parents are healthy, I'm like kind of aware of, of what dice game I'm playing. And so I, it does make me um, anxious. We didn't talk about this, but there's, you know, on a more broad level, it's like, if you really do solve, you know, medicine, <laughs> then <laughs> the amount that you have to worry about losing any of your loved ones just diminishes away practically to zero. I mean, depends on what exactly what kind of crazy sci-fi scenario we're actually talking about. But you're sort of forced to seriously consider the sci-fi scenarios when you're having this conversation. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about the ethics of this because I feel supremely selfish. I literally feel like I am risking the entire world for just the life of me and a few of my loved ones. Like not the entire world, but like the entire future of the entire human species, right? For what amounts to a few dozen people. And it doesn't it doesn't seem like something that anyone who's not a massive villain in a movie or a book would ever do. And yet I'm like, I really, really think maybe I kind of want to roll the dice on this. And I don't I, I do you need to somebody need to socially shame me for this because <laughs> I don't know maybe they should I don't I don't know you know and I, here's the thing a minute ago I said that a lot of what I said in our previous conversation was bullshit and it's like well that's not because I know that it's wrong that's just because I feel like it's coming from a place of motivated reasoning but mm-hmm. the the argument that I made could still be correct I still have this feeling that 
the less wrong Bay Area rationalist memeplex of like what alignment is supposed to look like or what it has to look like is a a kind of specific monoculture of ideas from a specific time and place. And uh, why ought we to, to defer to that conception of what an alignment might look like? Like alignment might indeed be easier than Eliezer thinks. That is the kind of thought that simultaneously feels like a cope and could totally be true. Like yeah. it could just be simply true that, you know, you end up with a GPT-4 and and like you can use it to express in code certain philosophical concepts that it would take a highly intelligent alignment researcher six months of work to arrive at and you know your, your gpt just spits it out for you and you know you get the bonus of like this thing isn't even really the kind of super intelligence that you have to worry about fooming so you just mm-hmm. get you get all of the upside none of the, none of the downside and, and it's all a gravy and i'm like Again, it's like, wow, Matt, you're you're so full of shit. You're just coping. You're you're just. I mean, maybe I'm going to continue to be aware of that. I guess. I guess that's going forward. I'm going to have that little voice in my head that's like warning me that I'm thinking very convenient thoughts. But I still don't see why it has to be the other way. I don't think it does, and I think maybe that's a big part of what we're grappling with is the uncertainty of the risk. I think it's entirely likely that it's easier to get to alignment than some people are saying. The thing is, we don't know exactly how long it takes, right? So for every additional year that we have to work on it, we increase the chances of getting to the good alignment. And maybe we only need like one extra year, right? But what if we delay AI by four additional years? During those three years that we delayed it, that we didn't have to delay it, how many people that we love are going to die? Or, or what are our chances of dying? And even people we don't know, over 100,000 people die every day, right? That is millions of people dead because we slowed down AI by several years more than we had to out of an excess of caution. Just the whole not knowing thing is, it really sucks. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's actually a dilemma where both ends of it are are shitty. um, Because if you accelerate, then at least according to the Yudkowskian frame, you doom humanity and you, you get extinction if you're lucky. If you maximally decelerate and are maximally responsible, if you're really, really maximally responsible and you have proper security mindset and you're, you know, adequately paranoid and you quintuple check every single thing and you run tests and you you just do everything you possibly can, well, that's millions and millions and millions of people who are going to die before we get to that point. Not just die, but like suffer, and then and then you end up creating, you know, the the good outcome. But it's like, wow. I barely feel good about that good outcome anymore, right? So, so b- both things suck is the thing. And I'm speaking of copes, like that's just really hard to accept. That's just really hard to swallow and just move on with your life knowing that that's the trade-off. Like the trade-off is two shitty things, kind of no way out of it. Like that's why, I, <laughs> that's why I'm tempted to, to cheat, right? Because the cheating way out of it is for me to be like, what if we can use GPT and it just works really fast and it's really easy and nobody has to die. And it's like, okay, yeah. That's suspiciously um, convenient, but but yeah, maybe right. not. It is hard, and I think we're both too uninformed to have very good opinions, and we just feel all the angst instead. Yeah, yeah. I still wish that um, there was more definition of what alignment's supposed to look like. <sighs> this is becoming a hobby horse for me. I do see it as a problem at this point in time that Iliazer is sort of gesturing at this black box that he has sitting in front of him, and he's like, if we don't build the, the thing that lives inside the box which in my metaphor is alignment, you know, we're all going to die. And I think it's a fair question to be like, okay, what are the features of the thing inside the box? Like, what does it look like? And I know we don't actually have it, but like, what do you expect it to look like? 
and maybe I'm being a bit unfair because it's not like he hasn't talked about this, but I, I find myself craving a bit more definition than has been provided, I guess. Yeah. What makes humans flourish isn't all that well known. Mm-hmm. I just took a, a minor risk when I was out on vacation in Portugal, and I think it was an extremely minor risk. I would not have risked myself for a thrill if I thought there was any significant chance of me coming to harm, but it was a non-zero risk. I don't know if a world where all risk is literally zero would be that great. Mm-hmm. Eliezer also posted once about um, human sexuality as a game for two players. How are things going to change if we can find all our emotional needs in an AI companion rather than having to wrestle with other humans who are also imperfect and sometimes shitty and sometimes we argue with? I was thinking about that too. I mean, I, I listened to your episode with Stephen about the the chatbots and... um Somehow, I, I, I don't know why I'm surprised that this is already becoming an issue, but I mm-hmm. find that I am a bit surprised. But uh, it's just going to become more of an issue. It's going to become a huge social issue. I don't think that's an exaggeration. You can nail that down as like a prediction and put my name on it that AI romance is going to become one of those big things people talk about on what remains space- of cable news. <laughs> the space pope says don't date robots. Yeah. You must know the touch of a, of a woman or something. I don't know. It's going to be, <laughs> right. yeah. I guess on a very meta level of like rationalism, one of the advantages of podcasting is that you listen to yourself talk and it, it affords you a lot of opportunities to take yourself a bit less seriously because you see how often you you just say things and things come out of your mouth and you're like, later you're like, that was bullshit. Uh-huh. That, that was just some shit that sounded good. That didn't mean anything. And then you try to hold yourself to a higher standard as you go forward, which is actually good in all kinds of ways. And, and th- that was just one experience where like after we sat and had that conversation, I was reflecting on what I said. And I was like, I, I know that that was not well reasoned. That's a bad feeling, but it's also really important to recognize. I've caught myself lying to myself several times and it's never in real time. It's always mm-hmm. like a few days later, I'm saying something else and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Didn't I say the exactly contradictory <laughs> thing just a few days ago when I was arguing from some other position? I'm like, yes, I did, but I believed it then, and I believe this now. Fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even an agent. Totally. I, I am not deceptive. That is one of my rules is that I don't lie. But that doesn't mean that I don't say things that I later kind of realize are not true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These are different, different mental phenomena. Um, yeah. I know what you're talking about. But yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you for talking to me about all that. I will try to blast at you again in uh, a week or two. And this time, actually, now that I've learned from this, actually keep it short. All right. I'll stand ready for blasting. <laughs> <laughs>